This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Hello, folks. Glad you're able to worship with West Concord Baptist Church today. We're going to continue with our series that we began last week, Back from Captivity, a study of the book of Malachi. Malachi is a very interesting book. It is the last book of the Old Testament. The prophet who wrote it, his name was Malachi, which is the Hebrew word for angel or messenger. And he is bringing God's message to God's people. And actually, it's the last prophecy for nearly 400 plus years until John the Baptist comes on the scene to announce Jesus Christ. And and Malachi brings this prophecy 100 years after the children of Israel have come back from captivity. They were in captivity with the Babylonians for 70 years, and they were under oppression and slavery and all of those things. And God, by the way, had allowed that and prophesied that that would happen because of their previous idolatry and sin. He had called to them. He had sent prophets to them. He had reached out his hand of grace to them, but they would, they would reject him. They would kill the prophets and slap back at God. And so God finally allowed the Babylonians to come through and to take them captive. But he told them that if they turned back to him, he would bring them home. He would, he would release them from captivity and bring them home. And he did that. And then they got back into routine. They got back into life. And after a hundred years, No, they weren't chasing idols. No, they weren't worshiping false gods, but they were only worshiping the true God halfway, just going through the motions, because as we said last week, apathy and complacency had begun to set in. And the reason why I'm doing this, I believe God is leading me to teach this book, because we're in a sense in captivity from the COVID virus and all that's going on in the world. And eventually things are going to get back to normal. I hope they will at least. And I've got to ask myself, will I be back to normal or will I be transformed? Will I get the message from this misery and allow God to transform me through it? Or will I come back and continue as many in the church do even today, respond and react to God with apathy and complacency? So this morning, we're going to talk about the second oracle in Malachi. Again, as I said last week, Malachi is made up of six oracles or burdens that God has laid upon the heart of the prophet, that God, who out of his love for his people, and yes, to some extent, his profound disappointment of his people or disappointment in his people, he is going to bring these oracles to encourage them to come back. And each time he holds out the hand of grace. Because again, as we saw last week, God passionately loves his people, even when his people aren't living up to what they should be. You know, how does that relate to us today? And how are we going to look coming out of our captivity? Let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into our message. Father, we are grateful to be again online proclaiming your word. Lord, we thank you for those who because they can't go out or can't get to church, they're listening and, and tuning in to the message today. And Father, I pray that you would speak to all of our hearts through your word. I pray that we would listen to Malachi's message and that, Father, we would respond to it in a positive way. I pray that through all of this, we don't become, uh, again, complacent and 
And Lord, we would respond in positive ways to the misery that you're taking us through for the reason that you're taking us through it. Help us, Lord, to exemplify transformed lives as we go through it. And may the book of Malachi teach us and show us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The second article we're going to look at is involving honoring God. Remember the first one spoke of responding to God's love. The second article, or oracle rather, is a response to God in that they weren't honoring God like they should. Oh, they were going through the motions of religiosity and going through the motions of doing the things that they had to do for worship, but they weren't doing it with a passion. They weren't doing it with a fervency. And because they had not honored God, they forgot about that. Paul talks about honoring God in Romans chapter 1. In verse uh, 21, he says this. He says, because although they knew God, Talking about the people of God and the world in general. Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but because, uh, rather, excuse me, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. In other words, not glorifying God, not honoring God, humanity in general, and God's people specifically, had begun to play the fool, had begun to ignore God. They didn't honor Him and glorify Him in the right way, and things fell apart. Now, I want to read with you something that sort of goes along with this Romans 1 passage. Now, generally, I teach from the New King James Version, but I want to share with you something out of the Message Bible. Now, I'm not a fan of the Message Bible. I'm not a fan of paraphrases. I don't think they're accurate enough. But I did come across this paraphrase in the Message Bible that is eerily familiar as it seeks to paraphrase this passage in Romans. And in Romans 1.28, it says this, Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose, rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, vicious backstabbing. They made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering, and cheating. And he goes on to say, look at them, mean-spirited and venomous. He goes on to talk about them in verse 30 where he says they are forked-tongued, God-bashers, bullies, swaggerers, insufferable windbags, They keep inventing new ways of wrecking lives, and they ditch their parents when they get in the way. You know, he's talking about what people do when they ignore God. He talks about that all through this passage, the different things that occur when a people suppress the truth of God, dishonor God. And I just thought that was interesting in the Message Bible. If you have a Message Bible, you can, uh, of course, look that up. But in that Romans passage... It speaks of dishonoring God. So what does it mean to honor God or to honor anything? Well, gotquestions.org has a wonderful explanation of honoring God. It says this. It says, honor originates in our hearts and refers to the value we personally place on something or someone. It goes on to say, when we honor God, we are demonstrating the high regard we have for Him. We are reflecting His glory back as praise and worship. So when we honor God, we are reflecting that in how we live, how we worship, and how we glorify Him in our lives. So as we jump into Malachi chapter 1, we're going to see God wondering why they haven't honored Him 
the way they should. So in, in, in uh, Malachi chapter 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 6 and uh, read with me as you will. Follow along with me in your scripture. And it says this. It says, a son, this is the Lord talking to the, to the people. He says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. He says, if I then am the father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my reverence? In other words, they were dishonoring God's place. Now, when I say place, I'm not talking about a geographical location. I'm talking about God's place as the divine creator, the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all that we see. They were not honoring his place. They were not giving him due glory. They were not giving him the honor that was due him. Oh, they honored their fathers and and workers honored their employers, but they were not giving God his honor. It goes on to say this. He says, says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? Now, I realize when I read that verse, you're saying, oh, he's talking to the priests. He's not talking to the regular people. Well, let me tell you a little something. Yes, in the Old Testament, there was the office of priest in Judaism who represented the people before God. But according to 1 Peter chapter 2, you and I as believers, we are now the holy priesthood of God. Now, don't be mistaken. A pastor and a priest, these aren't interchangeable offices between the Old and New Testament. You know, as a pastor... I don't do things the Old Testament priests did. I don't offer physical sacrifices. I don't wear special raiment. I don't do those things that they did. I am a pastor. I am a shepherd. And quite frankly, you and I as believers are the priests of God today. So yes, while this was talking to the clergy of of the day of Malachi, it's talking to us today. So he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, to you priests, he's talking to us who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? So the honor that God was seeking had been denied, been denied by the religious leaders, and by their example, it had been denied by the people of God. So when we talk about dishonoring God's place, have we given God due honor and diligence in our lives? Do we make choices that honor Him? Do we do things that glorify Him? Are we so self-sovereign that we forget that He is the universal sovereign? And yes, we are the priests, and they were dishonoring God's place. How are they doing that? Well, they were defiling God's worship to start off with. Look at verse 7. He says, how do you do that? How do you despise my name? Well, here's how. You offer defiled food on my altar, talking about the sacrifices they brought. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. In the Hebrew, that's the Hebrew word batzah, which means despised. They despised offering sacrifices to God. They despised having to take things in the temple and give them to them. Why? Because it cost them something. It cost them something materially. It cost them something in effort. It cost them something in time. They didn't have time for that. They didn't want to give up their stuff. Rather than give God his glory and his honor by offering a good sacrifice to him, Sacrifice was something they weren't interested in. You know, sometimes God's people today can be that way. 
You know, coming to church on Sunday morning is a sacrifice. Tithing and giving of our, our money, time, and talents, that's a sacrifice. Investing in ministry is a sacrifice. Yet we do it if we find the time. We come to church if we haven't got anything else better to do, and we give only when we have an overabundance. And sacrifice has almost gone out of our vocabulary as a church. Now we're making sacrifices through this COVID virus. We're not going out anywhere. We're not able to do what we want to do, be where we want to be, and have what we want to have. And man, we're sacrificing. You know, God maybe is teaching us how to sacrifice, how to live better with less so that we might be able to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel message going forth. But I want you to notice, they said, you know, how have we despised your name? And he said, by calling the Lord's table contemptible or by despising it. So they were bringing low-grade offerings. You know, I remember years ago when we used to work with a rescue mission in Lenore. Uh, and we'd ask people to bring blankets and sweaters for them in the winter because it was up in the mountains, and people who were chemically dependent would go there to get help getting off of those things. And we noticed there for a while people were bringing in raggedy coats and well-worn and well-used blankets. They were bringing their second and third best. Now, that might be okay for the giver, but what if you're the receiver? You know, doesn't God deserve our best? Doesn't, doesn't the ministry deserve our best? Don't people who are hurting deserve our best? After all, God gave his best. He let his son die on the cross for our sake. So God gave his best, but here the people of God then, and yes, sometimes we're guilty of it, we bring him low-grade offerings. I mean, let's face it, we'll get involved in ministry, but we'll pour ourselves into our jobs, hobbies, and activities through the week. And by the time we drag in on Sunday, we're so tired that we're not giving our full to whatever ministry we've been given. Or we may just walk away from a ministry because they say, well, my schedule's too full and I'm just too tired. When we sometimes need to evaluate how we are spending our lives as children and people of God, and how we should be sacrificing for Him. But he said they were bringing in low-grade offerings. And he says, when you offer the blind, verse 8, you say the table is contemptible, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is that not evil? In other words, bringing the blind animals in. This, you know, I don't want this animal, it's blind, it can't do him any good, so I might as well just give it to the Lord. Is that not evil? Uh, it goes on in verse uh, 8. And when you offer the lame and the sick, is that not evil? You know, they were bringing the lame animals and the sick animals. They weren't bringing their best to God. They were bringing whatever they had left after they were finished with it. He goes on to say this, and God gets a little snarky here. He says, offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? You think it's good enough for me. Go take it to your governor. And the word governor here is a Persian word, actually, which speaks of the ruler. And could you imagine going to the ruler of that day and offering him second best, putting a lame, sick animal on his table? You wouldn't do that. None of these people would do that. I mean, let's face it. We oftentimes do more for people that we celebrate in this culture than we do for Almighty God. God said, go ahead and take that garbage to your governor. Would he be happy with you? Would he be satisfied with that? Would he accept you favorably? God, you can almost hear him say, I don't think so. But you know what? Even though they were bringing low-grade offerings, even though they were despising his table, God, yet again in verse 9, extends the hand of grace. 
He says in verse 9, but now entreat God's favor. And that's what grace is, the unmerited favor of God. He says, but now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. He's given them yet again another chance to change, to transform, to offer that which is good, offer that which is high quality instead of low grade. He says, if you'll just do that, God will extend his hand of grace. I'm amazed again at how many people say, well, grace isn't in the Old Testament. Listen, grace is all over the Old Testament. Time after time, Israel turns its back upon God, defames God, defiles God's worship, and time after time, God extends the hand of grace. He loves His people, even though His people sometimes aren't very lovely. So we see that first, as we look at this, that they were dishonoring God's place. He is God, but they weren't treating as such. They were defiling God's worship. They weren't coming with the best that they have. We drag in here on Sunday mornings when we're open. We give halfway. We don't give all the way. And uh, churches suffer for that. And not only churches suffer for that, but the lost who are waiting for the church to take them the gospel suffer for that. So how are they dishonoring God? They were defiling God's worship and they were disrespecting God's name. They were disrespecting God's name. Let's pick it up in verse uh, 10. He says, Who is there among you who would shut the doors? He's talking about the doors to the temple. He said, Who's going to shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire in my, on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. Basically, what God is saying is, Go ahead and shut the doors to the temple. You're wasting my time and you're wasting your time. Shutting the rusty door to the religious people, that's what God is advocating. You know, people who go through the motions who are religious, there is nothing spiritual going on there. You know, I've been to some churches that are very fancy and ornate. I've been to cathedrals, not only overseas, but here in America, that are amazing to behold in their architectural splendor. But when you go in, the Word of God is not preached. The Word of God is not taught. It is just a perfunctory time of worship so people can check it off on their, on their evangelical guns and then they can go off and do their thing. We often drag in church and then we leave church not having been transformed, not having been changed, not having laid our lives again on the altar to God. And so God says, what's the point? Shut the doors. And listen, if you travel about this country, I know I have, you'll see churches that are shut down that the doors are shut. They've been closed down. As a matter of fact, there's a ministry that goes on called the Ministry for Opening Closed Churches. And it's actually a ministry and a mission. And their job is to go find these dilapidated, shut-down buildings, refurbish them, send in a minister, a pastor, and open a church again. But listen, God will shut the doors. He'll shut the old rusty doors of the, of the misused ministry to the religious people. Matter of fact, elsewhere in the Old Testament, he talks about writing Ichabod on the doorframe of the temple when the people of God despised him. The word Ichabod in Hebrew, it's not just the name of a character in an old American story. The word Ichabod means my glory is gone. And I wonder how many churches God has written Ichabod on their doorframe. As a matter of fact, I wonder how many Christian families God has written Ichabod 
on their doorframe. But listen, God's shutting the rusty doors to the religious, but he's opening a ready door to the receptive. Look what he says as we go on in verse 11. He says, from the, for from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And that phrase, for from the rising of the sun, can be better translated from the actual Hebrew because from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord. You see, because what they had done was they had disrespected God's name, Yahweh, God, and they didn't honor him. They disrespected his name. They just basically shut the doors to all that was God, all that God was doing. But the Bible says there is a ready group that is waiting to hear the good news. It's interesting because this might even be prophetic because 400 years later, who came on the scene? Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose again from the dead, provided salvation. And what happened? The Jews rejected him. He was their Messiah. He is their Messiah. They are God's chosen people, but they rejected him. And then as the disciples went out to proclaim the truth, they began to preach to the Jews. The Jews would not receive it. And so who did they turn to? They turned to the Gentiles. Paul said the gospel is the power of God to the Jew first, but also to the Gentiles. So that now the worshipers of Almighty God in Christ primarily are Gentiles. And the Jews... Generally, not all, there are Jewish believers. They, and by the way, they are the most complete persons on the face of the earth because they are God's chosen people and now they're God's saved people. But the majority of Jews on the earth have rejected their own Messiah. So yes, God shut a rusty door to his religious people, but he opened a ready door to the receptive people who are the Gentiles. And Malachi prophesies this. And see, the issue with this is often when we don't give due diligence to God's name by living under God's name and by proclaiming God's name, we run the danger of God shutting the doors on our ministry and other ministries like ours. So you see, I believe God is bringing us through all this tension, difficulty, and struggle because God wants to change us. He wants to use us. He wants us to be successful for His glory. He wants us to lift up His name. He wants to bless our church and other churches. But He said, basically, if, if you're not interested, there are others who are. You know, I think of people who specifically and individually, oh, they're serving the Lord, but after a while they drop off, they get distracted, they get discouraged, they fall away. God tries to call them back, but they say no. But you know what? God will shelve them and raise up someone else. Listen, I've seen it. I've been at West Concord Baptist Church long enough to actually see that occur. And it's a shame for that person who could be used of God in an amazing eternal manner, but now someone else is standing in their place doing what they should have been doing and receiving the honor that they should be receiving. So they were, they, were, they were not only defiling God's worship, they were dis disrespecting God's name. And then finally, they were also disdainful of God's service. Because, I mean, after all, if you disrespect his name, you're going to disdain his service. He goes on to verse 13 and he says, You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it when he's talking about service to God in the temple here. 
Oh, I get tired of it. Christianity is boring. I'm tired of having to come to church. I'm tired of having to be there when the doors open. I'm tired of serving in the senior adult ministry or the choir ministry or the youth ministry or the children's ministry. I'm tired of it. It's weary. It's boring. I don't want to be a part of it anymore. Or just trying to live up to the things God wants from me. I just don't want to mess with that anymore. And so many people walk away from the faith. And yes, let's face it, salvation is free. But living for and serving the Lord, it's costly. How much does it cost? Your life and my life. He tells us in Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, to lay our bodies on the altar as sacrifices, to lay our lives before Him and say, take it all, it all belongs to you. And yes, let me tell you, Christianity can be a very tiresome thing as you try to live it out. It's tough. It's not for sissies. And I'll be very transparent with you. There are many times in my ministry here and even before that I just wanted to quit. I just wanted to walk away from serving the Lord because sometimes it's painful and hurtful. People can be ugly. Situations can be difficult. It's not easy. But I always have to keep my eyes, and God sometimes has to grab me by my hair and point me again, but I have to keep my eyes on the reason I do it. And you and I all have, we all have to keep our eyes on the reason we do it. But you know, they, they, they said, oh, what a weariness and sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame and the sick, talking about those sacrifices again. Instead of giving God your best and brightest, you give God whatever's left over. And he even says stolen, lame and sick. Thus you bring an offering. And he asked this final question, should I accept this From your hand, says the Lord. They were disdainful of God's service. His people grew weary of His service. And so God gave them a warning of His people's sloth. He says, if you're going to be lazy and you're going to just give me the halfway, the half done, do you expect me to bless you with that? I'll never forget, I went over to a gentleman's house many, many years ago. He's not been a part of this church forever. Nobody here listening to this would even know him. But I remember I got over there and he hated everything about the church, everything about me, everything about the people in the church, and he even showed disrespect and hatefulness toward God. He used every foul word in the book, words that I didn't even know existed at the time, and he just hated it all. Two weeks later, his wife ended up in the hospital with respiratory issues. Sure enough, he calls me up and he says, Mike, I need you to come to the hospital. Well, I'm a pastor. I went. I loved his wife. And he walks in, the first thing he says to me, he says, Mike, please pray that God would show mercy in this situation. You know, I did, but I couldn't help but think, you weren't willing to show mercy. You despised everything about God and His ministry, but now when you need Him, you want His mercy and His grace to heal your wife. And I did. I prayed for that, and I visited her. I prayed for Him and ministered to them. But hey, that was in the back of my mind. You know, often we do that. We, we just don't have to bother with God. We don't take time to mess with God. I'm too busy. I'm too uh, filled up in my life. But then all of a sudden, when we wind up in a situation that we're in now, man, I need God. I'll never forget right after 9-11 here at West Concord Baptist Church. I'll never forget the Sunday after that occurred, West Concord was full. I mean, we had no empty seats that Sunday. Everybody was in church. And that was gratifying. They knew they needed God. But after a few weeks, the numbers dwindled again. People got busy. They didn't need God anymore. 
Some people just often come to visit God, and they don't really have a lot of dedication to Him. They were disdainful of God's service, God's people. So overall, they dishonored God's place. They dishonored who He was and, and what He was about, didn't give them the honor that was due Him and denied it to Him. They defiled God's worship by dragging in and bringing second best, third best, and fourth best with them. When God requires all of the best that we are and have, because He gave all of His best. They brought low-grade offerings. And yet, even in the midst of that, God graciously reached out. But they continued to disrespect His name. And so, what did God do eventually? Over the next 400 years, He shut the rusty doors of religion on them. And He opened their doors to those who are ready for the gospel the Gentiles. And it is the Gentiles even today. This is not a polemic against Jewish people. This is just the reality that exists. They're still God's people. God still loves them. And again, the most complete person in the world is a Jew who receives Christ as his or her Savior. Because not only now are they ethnically God's people, but now they're spiritually God's people. It's amazing. But nonetheless, Judaism has rejected Jesus and so the Gentiles have taken over. And yet even Gentiles, sometimes we get disdainful of God's service. It's a weariness. Man, I'm bored with it. I'm tired of it. My life is so filled with my hobbies and my work and my other interests that I give God whatever's left over at the end of the week. And it's sad. You see, that's what was going on in Israel in that day. And God was trying to pull them back to him. They were still His people. They still had a mission and ministry that they needed to perform. But because they had grown apathetic and complacent, they were missing that. And they were losing out. And therefore, also, they weren't interacting and seeing God in their lives. You know, when you're not intimately involved in somebody, you're not going to really care what goes on with them. And they weren't seeing God. And I love what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis, one of my all-time favorite authors a grand apologist and man of God, he had this to say. He said, God, he, God, shows much more of himself to some people than to others. Really? Yeah, you just remember we saw he closed the door on some and he's going to open the door for others. He, God, shows much more of himself to some people than to others, not because he has favorites, but because it is impossible for him to show himself to a man whose mind and character are in the wrong condition. God's not going to mess with the apathetic. God's not going to mess with the complacent, short of trying to call them back to himself. But listen, if they don't want to go, he's going to move on. He's going to move on. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples when they were going about preaching the gospel. He says, if you go into certain lands and they don't receive you, what did he tell them? Shake the dust off your feet and move on. God does that. He goes on to say this, Just as sunlight, though it has no favorites, cannot be reflected in a dusty mirror as clearly as in a clean one. You know, again, it's not that God likes somebody better than somebody else. It's not that God shows favoritism. You know, just because he calls the Jews his chosen people doesn't mean he loves them more and they're his favorites. He simply chose them for a purpose of producing the written and living word of God. But nonetheless, nonetheless, God will only appear brightly and strongly to somebody whose heart and mind is ready to receive him. 
Another historian goes on to say this. He says, show me the what or who you honor, and I will know what kind of person you are. What do you honor or, or who do you honor? You know, we, we get all excited about our favorite personality, our favorite politician, our favorite athlete. We get pumped up about our, our sports uh, venues. We get pumped up about politics. We have our hobbies. We have our interests. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying and being interested in any one of those things. But who do you honor? Who has the top and most place in your heart? Show me the what or who you honor and I will show you what kind, or I will know, rather, what kind of person you are. See, God is, is shaping us during this COVID-19 virus, during the unrest in the, in the country here and in the world, because God wants us to honor Him again. God is trying to get our attention. This, by the way, you may not agree, but this whole misery that we're enduring is the hand of grace reaching out to us. God is seeking to get our attention because he loves us. Just like a parent sometimes has to get a child. There are times when Andy or Liddy were, were misbehaving and I had to get down on their level and I had to get their little chin and say, look at me. Look at me. Andy struggled with that. He never wanted to look at dad because he knew when he looked at dad, he was in trouble. Look at me. I'm talking to you. I need your attention. You need to straighten up. You know what? I believe God is saying that to us today. I believe God is looking in the face of the people of the world generally and specifically the church of Jesus Christ and he's saying, look at me. Look at me. Our nation is suffering now. Our world is suffering now, but our nation is suffering now because we have chosen to dishonor God and His Word. I honestly believe that's why things are happening the way they're happening. I honestly believe that God is trying to get my attention individually and your attention and the world's attention and the church's attention. Yes, we're suffering, and I believe it's because we have chosen to dishonor Him as a whole. I know there are wonderfully dedicated and committed people in our church, and, in, and there are Christians that I know all over the country that are surrendered, dedicated, committed, and God is blessing them. But can you say overall that the church of Jesus Christ in America is honoring him the way he should be honored? I think God is trying to get our attention. I believe God is using this and saying, look at me. So what does that mean for us? Well, we as the church need to once again bow the knee to God and to God alone. We need to bow the knee to God. God needs to get all of our honor. God needs to get all of our respect. He needs to be glorified. We have no business bowing the knee to a king, a potentate, a politician. We need to bow the knee to Almighty God. As, a, as an individual and as a church. Because God is trying to get our attention. So Malachi railed, and I believe he railed against the people dishonoring God. They dishonored His place. Instead of looking at Him as the magnificent, wondrous Creator and giving them their best and their all, they dishonored Him. They defiled His worship. They despised His name and they disdained His service. And is that a, is that a, is that a virus running through the, the people of God today? And is God trying to get our attention? 
You say, that's a rough passage. It is. Malachi is not an easy book to get through. Malachi is not going to feel you, make you rather feel warm and fuzzy. Malachi has been given and written and preserved so that God's people will constantly be taking personal inventory and seeking to honor God. And it's because, because God loves us, He's done this, He's left this, and He reaches out to us. You know, you might be the most vile, wretched sinner on the face of the earth, but let me tell you, God loves you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, good or bad, no matter where you come from, God loves you. That's why He sent Jesus, took on flesh, left the splendors of heaven, came down, lived a sinless life, and even though He had not sinned, He was condemned as a sinner, died a cruel death on the cross. He was buried, and three days later He rose again. And all who would trust Him, all who would come and confess their sins, admit their sins, and cast their faith and confidence in Him, God would save them. God would redeem them. God would give them eternal life. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I don't care who you are, what you've done, God loves you. Please, please don't let the day go by without getting on your knees and seeking Christ as your Savior and trusting Him. If you do know Christ, here's the question. Are you honoring God? Does your life honor God? Do your choices honor God? Or do you get to God when you can? Do you visit Him occasionally on every other Sunday? Has your Bible grown so dusty that somebody can write damnation in the dust on the cover? Have you dropped the ball? Listen, church, God is using this whole world chaos, I believe, to get our attention. He's saying, look at me. And He wants to transform us. Will you surrender to that? I hope you will. Thank you so much for listening and watching today. Please take care and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.